my name is Steve Caldwell and I'd like to welcome you to Here's the Thing, an honest natter about mental health. I'll be co-hosting this podcast with my friend Stephen Henderson. Before we start, we'd like to say neither of us are experts. We just hope to start vital conversations surrounding mental health issues and partner with you, the listener. Whether you're caring for someone who is walking through mental illness or you yourself are going through a difficult season. We'd like to say a massive thank you to our sponsors, Brian Close Transport and Top of the Town in Antrim, who've given us all the support we've needed to make this pod possible. We hope wherever you're listening today that listening to this podcast will remind you that it's more than okay not to be okay, that storms don't last forever and mental illness won't have the final word in your story. Here, hello, and welcome to this month's edition of Here's the Thing. My name is Steve Caldwell, and I I want to start off by just taking a slurp of my tea. I've been listening to Shane Todd's Tea With Me, and I just think it's really class when he takes a slurp of his tea, so just excuse me one second. Ah, sorry, that was a podcast life goal for me. Random start. I am absolutely delighted this month to have a person that I know and I kind of really only know her from social media and seeing her about the town but I feel like this podcast is a wee bit like a film or a book that I've been dying to read and really looking forward to so absolutely no pressure to this month's guest is my friend Kira. Kira, you are very welcome on Here's the Thing podcast. Can I just say I feel like you're one of our biggest fans maybe our only fan (laughs) And here's the thing, thank you for coming on. Oh no, thank you for having me. Kira is far too polite, but I asked Kira on Saturday, and we are recording on, what day is it today? Tuesday. This is Tuesday. So she agreed, like it says on our Insta site, that we're winging it. We <laughs> literally asked her on Saturday, and she's here on Tuesday. So I am delighted to have Kira Divine on the pod. Kira. Yes. What's your favourite hot drink? Oh... At the minute, probably a small latte, one brown sugar. Can I ask you for an honest evaluation? Obviously, I worked in Starbucks for nearly seven years. I just made you a cup of tea. Can you give me a sound mark out of 10 for it? Oh, it's probably like an eight. What did it lose marks on? The Linfield Cup. (laughs) (laughs) Kira, somebody asked me this today in school, and I have not prepared you for this, and I know you looked at my notes. But would you rather be chased by a hundred small ducks or one huge duck? A hundred small ducks. Why? Because they're cute. But imagine a T-Rex sized duck chasing you down the lock. That would be like terrifying. Would but it not? A hundred would be. Yeah, okay. Okay, fair enough. Little ducks. Um, since you've given me stick <laughs> about my Linfield Cup, um, it's very important when you come on the pod to tell us what football team you support. Well... Arnold have a go at me for this because I used to live in Liverpool, so I'm Liverpool all the way. But he's my United now, and we're getting married, so I feel like I have to jump over. Can to I? My can I just give a shout out? Can I give a shout out to your fiance, Aaron yes. Harris? I think, and you've seen this in my notes, and I want you to tell him this. It is in my notes that it said Aaron Harris has the best left foot in Antrim. I played five aside against Aaron probably last year, and I just chased him for an hour and didn't get near him. Are you aware how good a footballer he is? No. 
I wouldn't say so, but he is looking a new team signing. So if anybody wants to do, you know, you could start a wee football team with him or something. Well, we're actually we're. <laughs> I play for New Park. Maybe you could come play for New Park. Here, there you go. Here, I'll speak to I'll speak to Bugsy about that. <laughs> okay. Well, as I say, you're very very welcome on the pod. You have a story to tell, Kira. Can you start before you get into your story because you have had a massive, massive ordeal in your life in the last while and we want to get to that but can you just introduce yourself can you tell us your age if you want (laughs) and what you do where you're from etc etc well i'm kira and i am 28 i think i keep having ass arm what age i am because i do forget all the time but um i am a student mental health nurse at queens finally got back and yeah i live in antrim love life isn't antrim amazing do you know what i used to live away for a long time and i love antrim now isn't it? Yeah, like it is. Like I feel like people make jokes to me all the time. They're like, "What's the what's the what's the best thing about Antrim? The road out of it." Like that, it's oh, not true. No, isn't it Castle Grounds? Like people people who are not from Antrim call it Castle Gardens, but I we know. call it Castle. Isn't the Castle Grounds? Castle amazing. Grounds, yes. And then we were just at Mazarine Golf Club, like walking the dogs. Like you wouldn't think you're in in Antrim. Honestly, it's lovely. I love Antrim. Shout out to Antrim. Shout if you're Antrim. not from Antrim, come and visit Antrim. <laughs> visit Antrim.ie. That's not a website. Kira, we were honestly delighted to have you on. You were very brave on social media maybe a week or two weeks ago. There was a huge big post about you. Yeah. And you were complaining that you didn't like the photo that was oh, in the it. Oh, the photo is horrendous. Yeah. <laughs> People need to think about their angles for photos, don't they? I know. I was like, that's going to haunt me the rest of my career. Photo, like that photo angle <laughs> training should be a thing. Oh. Kira, I don't, I don't really know where to begin because I don't. Th- you're one of the guests, as I say... You're a bit like a book that I've been looking forward to read. I don't actually know the full story. I know little bits about it. I obviously know Aaron a little bit. Can you start where you want to start? You have a story to tell. Where does it all begin for you? Well, for me, I think it begins on the 1st of April last year. I went in to have my gallbladder removed. um, And I thought I was going to be home that night. And... During the surgery, I went into respiratory failure. Um, my left lung had collapsed. And in that time, they had turned off the anesthetic and stuff to see if anything was happening. And at that time, I could feel everything that was going on. I couldn't speak and I couldn't move. And I, I just remember saying to myself, I need to tell them that I can feel this. And then the surgeon, I could, somehow I remember seeing him. I don't know how, but he sliced the left side of my chest and I felt it and I just went <gasps> and then I, I went into a cardiac arrest um, and I had two minutes of CPR and a lot of drugs I think there was a lot of adrenaline put into me and then I was put into a coma and transferred to ICU and I was on a ventilator then for it makes me shiver whenever I talk about it but I think I was in the ICU on the ventilator for just over 24 hours I think I woke up at 12 o'clock on the 2nd of April and I had no idea I actually thought I was abducted by aliens because it was everybody whenever you're on a ventilator you have to wear all the PPA so I could just see people's eyes and I had like I still had the ventilator down my throat and all I could see was these eyes and these really bright lights and I was like I have been abducted by aliens this is the worst thing ever <laughs> I can laugh about it now because I know I obviously wasn't but um yeah, it was pretty scary. So that's where it all started. <laughs> Can I ask you, we had a brief discussion while we were having a cup of tea before we started the pod. Is this the first time you've sort of 
spoken out about it publicly. I mean, there was yeah. the post on social media, was it last week? Yeah, um, I have. Um, I, I've posted like videos and stuff on my social media, like about kind of what had happened, but I've never spoke about it like this to anyone, even like to Aaron. I don't think we've ever been as honest as I'll probably be today. And like I've talked about it with like my therapist and stuff, but never to the level just like having a chat with a friend like I haven't I find it really hard because I just think it's so surreal and people probably think oh my goodness she's making that up because it is so crazy like it's just such a mad story but I guess it kind of has a good ending so it's not so bad I'm just sort of excited if that's okay for me to say at this point that it feels like we've got an exclusive here (laughs) we've got an exclusive in this story (laughs) oh no which is incredible so tell us what happened next. Um, so next I woke up in ICU and as soon as I woke up, I said to them, I remember that surgery. Why did I remember the surgery? And I knew as soon as I woke up, this is going to affect me mentally. I just knew it. Um, but anyway, in ICU, I couldn't put my own clothes on. I couldn't move in the bed. I had to be used a slide sheet to get me up and down the bed I had to be helped onto the commode couldn't even like wipe my bum or anything like it was awful um I just learned for lot forgot how to do everything I couldn't ha- I had no like independence and then like one day ICU doesn't have any toilets or a shower because everybody's usually on a ventilator or they're like really critically ill so I had said to them can I please go to a toilet and can you let me go to a shower and I'll never forget it. I wish I knew the woman's name, but she's a sister in ICU. And she had to walk me to the toilet because I literally couldn't walk myself. And then they had a wheelchair behind me and I just fell to pieces. And I, I just thought, how has this happened in one day? Like, how has my whole life just changed in one day? But then I got moved out of ICU and I begged the surgeon to let me go home. I was like, please, I just need to get out of here and like be at home. And like, I couldn't, rec- I couldn't recover in there. So then I got home and I'll be honest with you, I was totally in denial for about three months. Didn't want to talk about it. Didn't want to acknowledge that anything had went wrong. Like I knew I was really sick, but I think that that got me through the first few months was being so ill. Like I was so sick and I was in a lot of pain and I spent most of the days just sleeping. And if I went out, I'd be out for half an hour and I'd be sleeping for the rest of the day. But um. I think my turning point was kind of my dad was getting married in July and I knew that I had to stay together until July I was like if you just make it to July you'll be fine and the day of his wedding one of his friends had said to me I know you're not okay and I just I felt like someone had seen me for the first time and I was like oh my goodness and I just fell to pieces and like that night everybody like went to bed arm went to bed and I sat in the bathroom I cried the whole night I woke up the next morning hadn't even slept and then it was the week after that that I just fell apart then. Just lost it. <laughs> had you, sorry for not using a better word than this, <laughs> had you fooled everybody else then, apart from that person at a wedding, that everybody else sort of believed? Yeah. Or had you shut them down? Any? No, I, th- I don't know. I think that I, they must have thought I was fine. Like, I remember the psychologist was, um, I, whenever you're in ICU, you get a psychologist to, I think some people like see a lot of things I see with the morphine and stuff and I wouldn't talk about it with her and she was kind of like 
you know, it's okay to talk about this. And I was like, no, I'm fine, absolutely fine. Nothing's wrong here. And then maybe people did see it, but I just felt like they didn't. I don't know. Maybe it was just like, I just thought I'm faking this so good here. And then it was that night that the one person I said, you're the only person that's ever said that to me in the last three months. Hi. And it just shook me to the core because I was like, oh, I've been seen. Like, I'm exposed now. But it was the best thing. So, you broke when somebody asked you? Yeah. What happened in the days after that? I think it was like a week because Aaron's family had came over from Australia. And and we were like out and stuff. And I there was one day and... I said, Arne, I can't do it. I just can't. I could not leave the house. Like, it just felt like impossible to get past the door. And I was like, if I go outside that house, I'm going to die. And that's all I kept thinking. And it was just like a switch went off inside my head. And I was like, if I go outside, I'm going to die. If I cross the road, I'm going to die. I like, Arne literally had to take my hand if we were crossing a road. Because I couldn't, I couldn't, like, I thought the two cars were coming. No, no cars were there. I just always felt threat. And then it just spiralled and spiralled and spiralled from then. Like, um, I knew it started to get bad because I deleted all my social media for three months. I think it was three months. Because um, I kept seeing everybody out enjoying themselves and I was stuck at home and my life was on hold and I was told that I couldn't go back to uni and I just thought my life was over. This, this cardiac arrest has absolutely ruined me here. And then... I locked myself away. I pushed everybody away from me. Like I had probably only contact with Arn and my therapist. Nobody else. Like just couldn't. Every anybody else was scary to me, and like they were dangerous, even though they weren't. But it was just my my PTSD. And then that's whenever I started to talk to a psychologist, and she had diagnosed me with PTSD. And Arn got brought onto one of our Zoom calls, and she explained to Arne like look this isn't Kira acting this is her PTSD and like you know like she tried to understand it with him and I was trying to understand it and we were just like what's going on this is awful but Arne left for work at five in the morning and he came back at half three and within them hours I just locked myself in we have like a tiny bedroom upstairs and I just locked myself in there and I just thought I need to keep myself in here to keep myself safe because all I wanted to do was die but like I knew thankfully because I had done mental health nursing I had a little bit of awareness of like why it all works and that it isn't you thinking these things and that you know you can get better but I was sitting in there and I just thought I wish I had died like it's all I thought about was I wish I had just died that day because it would have been so much better than this and it was like such an urge but like now when I can think back on it it's I knew I didn't want to die I just wanted the pain to stop and I wanted my life back and that's all I wanted like and I think that's the scary thing is that people don't have that awareness that it isn't you and it is your illness and it is your PTSD or depression or your anxiety and only thing that got me through was I recorded myself like video because I felt like I was like talking to someone so like I have like I still have the videos on my phone and I haven't looked at them and one day I was the worst and I knew it was the worst because I locked my dogs in the kitchen and I gave them water and I had everything ready for them and I was like it was just like so intense and I sat and I recorded myself for about 45 minutes and I cried and cried on the phone 
and the only thing that day that got me by was knowing that if Aaron comes home and finds me it's going to be the end of Aaron and then I cried and I cried and I cried and I was like I can't do this because I don't want to hurt Aaron he's been through enough <gasps> makes me so feel funny but so I can resonate with that one of the times I thought about ending my own life was the time that my mom was on holiday and I live with mom um, and all I could think about was is, isn't it nuts Kira, that you think I mean you're talking about your own life and you're thinking I don't want my mom to come home and find me like this I know. and I remember one of my best mates Chris I told him this I don't know what I don't know what made me tell him that I was thinking this way, but I remember telling him this, and he said to me, like, so many people will never recover, if that was the case. Like, so many people will not recover, Steve, if you do this. Oh, yeah. So I can really resonate with how powerfully real that thought is, that actually the only reason why you're keeping yourself alive is that you don't want the guy that you love to come home and find you dead. I know. Um. I'm I'm really fascinated by what you've just said. If you you don't mind me pressing pause and asking you a few things, yeah. so you said, obviously you're in the depths of despair, and you said being a mental health nurse, there was a little bit of awareness. Mm-hmm. So were you able to step out of this hell you were going through and almost become your own mental health nurse and tell yourself things that you knew? How how did that? I'm fascinated. How did that work? I think it was the room. I knew if I kept myself in the room and I kept the drugs downstairs because I had drugs in my house that would kill a horse from being in ICU. So I knew I had such easy access to it and I knew I just need to stay away from it. And recording myself, was I think that saved me because if I got it out of my head, it wasn't in there anymore. So if I could just talk out loud to and be so honest because no one's gonna hear it it's just me and I just said it all and I cried and I cried and I had panic attacks and the thing and like I just let it all out and I done that every day for I don't even know how many months surprise my phone hasn't ran out of memory <laughs> but that really helped me I don't know I think it was just whenever I was sitting there I knew that these thoughts just weren't me. I can't describe it. I just knew it didn't it helped with the psychologist as well because I thought I knew what PTSD was, but I actually thought I had psychosis. It was like I thought someone had hacked my phone. I thought people were coming into my house. I locked the blind or closed the blinds, locked the doors, was checking the blinds, checking the doors, like wouldn't let anybody in and it was all just fear. Like total fear of like dying, but it had manifested in other ways. And that was like something totally new to me. Like I thought PTSD, like I don't know what I thought it was, but I didn't know the extent of how severe it can be for a person. Like every time I closed my eyes, I thought I was in the surgical table again. Every time I lay down, every time I went outside, I just thought I'm going to die here. Like I'm going to die. And then that's whenever I started the MDR therapy and it really helped. But the whole thing of being like a student nurse I don't know. I can't really, I can't explain it. I think that's incredible, the idea of you videoing yourself. Yeah, it really helps. Because it feels to me like that, those videos that, as you say, you've never shown anybody. No. Were a lifeline for you? Oh, yeah. Like, I started it one day randomly because I spent a lot of the time on my own. Like, 
I really struggled going back to uni because I had sort of isolated myself so I lost a lot of social skills and um that was my it was as if I was another person that didn't judge me and wasn't gonna go and tell someone what I was saying it was just I don't know like I would definitely recommend it to anyone because it gets it out of your head and it's not it's not eating you alive then once it's out there and like it's good to cry like I just cried and cried and cried but I would I was always like I'm not crying nobody's gonna make me cry and then I just cried and it hurt so much like I felt like I was bleeding but the video really really helped me so take me back that you pushed everybody away apart from your therapist and Aaron of course yeah do you know what your friends were thinking have you checked in with them now were they all like you like here's just disappeared off the planet like family what's going on outside of the world you've just described um i don't know nobody really talks about it to me um like i tried to push arn away as well um there was nights where i was screaming at him to leave me alone and he just didn't like i just don't know but um but no one really talks about it with me it's very strange i'm sure they would probably think like oh she just disappeared off the face of the earth for a couple of months but um there was one of my aunts and she's called Sue and she was the first one that caught me off guard and I was like oh my goodness this is awful because I was in a full-blown PTSD freak out and I was meant to go to coffee with her and then I texted her and I was like look I can't come to coffee but she didn't see the message and showed up at my house anyway to pick me up and I was in full-blown meltdown mode and she was the first person that seen me like that and I, I remember going oh my goodness what have I done but it was the best thing like she was really good to me but everybody else it's all just sort of you're looking better now so you must be doing better i guess people who are listening who maybe haven't had a mental health issue in their life maybe don't understand why people would push people away again i'm listening to your story and i'm i know that in the seasons i've had that's the number one thing that i would do but it's really strange, Kira. If I was sitting here now, I wouldn't advise anyone to do that. No. But I know why. I know why I do it. And I'm listening to you and I'm going, I'm listening to you here now and I'm welling up. I am. I'm, I'm thinking this girl's life has fallen apart in literally one procedure she was going for. And now she's pushing everybody away because everything just seems crazy and you maybe don't want to do that publicly can you can you just pause with your story for a minute and somebody who's listening now who's pushing people away can you almost kind of double back on yourself and encourage people not to do that yeah like i think like just explaining to people how you're feeling even if you can't tell them write it down i always say darn like if you don't know how to say just write it down and I wrote a lot of things down and I think like sometimes talking is really hard especially whenever the words like like you want to kill yourself or you're suicidal and you want to take an overdose like they're really big words big scary words and people sometimes are a bit afraid of that or like how to have them conversations but I whenever I was in the middle of all that there I kept saying to Arne I don't want you to fix me I just want you to be here for me like I don't want an answer I just want you to be here with me and like just sometimes being with someone is enough like being there to support them like sometimes you don't have to talk but if you want to 
definitely do if you can't talk please do and if you can't talk write it down and then if you can't do that then just sit with someone that you trust and watch a funny movie because it goes a long way coming up to therapy obviously you'd isolated yourself pushed people away and all of this was going on how did you feel did someone suggest you going to therapy or did you kind of look it up yourself or how, how did that process work that you went from being isolated to right I'm going to go and speak to somebody who can help me yeah well I was already talking to a psychologist from ICU but it was just on zoom and I wasn't getting anything from it um and it was actually my tutor at uni Derek McLaughlin he contacted me and he was like look I know you're going to suffer from what you've been through and I really think that you should go to EMDR therapy and he, do, he specializes in EMDR therapy and in uni um if he's ever listened to this he'll for, forgive me for saying but we all thought it was not wise like doing butterfly taps and all and we were like well there's Derek with the EMDR and I'll be honest I didn't know what it was I was just so desperate like I remember saying to myself I will try anything because I need to get out of this like I knew it was eating me alive and I knew if I don't do this I'm not going to be here like I need to do it and then that's just how it started so we were talking we were talking before the podcast me you and Handy about therapy and in another episode I talk about how Handy's really good at telling people that he goes Are you, you seem I mean this is probably one of the first times you and I have had a conversation in person are you open were you nervous the first time you're kind of telling your friends your family that you go to see a therapist what no. way does that work no honestly I I was quite open about going People probably thought, oh, here she goes with her therapy again, but it saved my life. Like, I would encourage anyone to go to therapy, even if you're not going through a mental health crisis. Like, sometimes just to get stuff off your chest. And, like, sometimes there's problems going on and you don't even realise. Like, therapy, really, really, I am a big advocate for it because it definitely saved my life. Big time. Uh, how often did you go? Or do well, you go? At the time, I was going once a week for three hours a session sometimes twice a week but the three hours like I came home and it floored me for a couple of days like it was really really intense and um, the woman who I went to therapy with she often said like she had to go to her manager and be like I think I pushed her a bit too far there but like I I just went for it I was so desperate for something to help I just wanted a relief I just needed relief from this like it was eating me up inside and then it took about eight months like for it to to come together like to make sense and then from October I kind of just go as like maintenance <laughs> I guess I'm keen to hear because I'm just staggered by how dark this got for you so quickly I'm keen to hear at what stage in your story did you start to see some light poking in did you start to think I mean uh, I mean you've described vividly like you're crying yourself irons away at work you're locking yourself you're locking the dogs away like at what point was there a moment or was just kind of gradual was when did you start to think I might be able to get out of this I think there was one one session with EMDR I had um I couldn't I couldn't talk about the surgery the waking up on the table that just completely haunted me and there was one day she was like do you want to do it and I was like do you know what let's just do it 
and before that day I had the blinds closed I was so paranoid I honestly thought I was under attack and the next day without even realizing I opened the blinds but I didn't realize for a couple of days and I was like I haven't checked the doors in a while and it started happening really really gradually it was as if something just changed in my brain and then like I could never go into Tesco's without basically being inside orange tote like he was like the protector and then one day I just walked off on on my own to go and get something and it was after I was like well I just done that but I think um the the sort of big day for me was every first and second of every month I used to play it hour by hour minute by minute of what happened to me I used to be like right this happened at this hour this is what happened I was dead at this point I was alive at this point like it really I, I was obsessive of it and it was the first of October was the first time me and Aaron went up to Helen's Bay to go in the water um, and I wasn't thinking about anything. October was the turning point for me, it started to get better so from July to October was the real horrible, horrible time but October was when I finally thought you know what I think I can do this, like, it might get better and I think that's where it sort of, it did get better from there. Wow, I love that moment in Tesco's. I know. I love that moment. I wish I knew. I wish I remember what I was going to get. It's probably like bacon fries or something, but I don't remember. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it was definitely the treat I you were going towards. Oh yeah, probably <laughs> like crisps or chocolate, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> so, after October, when how like how how did your life start to piece back together again? It was really weird. It all sort of happened in October because. Mine and me and Arne, we have the same birthday, 29th October 1994. It's like the twin I never wanted. But, um. <laughs> she does not mean that, Arne. <laughs> but, like, it was so weird. I had, like, passed my driving test. I, like, didn't drive for 10 years. And I was like, do you know what? I'm going to do my driving test. And I passed it. And I was like, hi, I do not know. But my dad had got me a car. And I was, I didn't know about it. And they'd all brought me around to my granny's and whenever there's a lot of people in the room I sort of start to shake because I don't know how to it's very overwhelming for me and I went in and I felt this card and it had a key in it and I I just broke down into pieces but it was like pure joy like I just felt how is this happening to me like how can my life been so bad and now all these good things are happening like I just was like why like I, I didn't understand it and then the next day Aaron proposed to me and I I feel so bad for him because I just looked at him and I was like are you taking the piss because I couldn't believe it I just thought why I was honestly I was in total shock and I just thought how is all these good things happening and then like just life just started to I don't know I think my mindset changed I can't explain it I, I keep saying about EMDR like it, it just was like something just changed and I just thought do you know what what if this all works out now and then I was obviously trying to get back to Queens to do my nursing and that's whenever I kind of had a little wobble because they were kind of like do you know I don't know if you're ready for this like and then I really started doubting myself I was like I can't do this like I can't how can I go back to doing nursing whenever I'm still massively a patient technically at therapy and with PTSD and like I'm still figuring this out and I really doubted myself and then one day I had to go on the way to occupational health 
and my car broke down like the whole gear stick just went and I thought I'm not meant to go here I'm not meant to be a nurse and then all of a sudden like my brother came my dad came my granny was on the phone everybody came and got me to that meeting and it was like a two hour long assessment with a doctor and I had to just beg for it I was like I I need this and he was like if you don't go back now you'll never go back and I was like I know and he asked me questions like what are you going to do if you see a cardiac arrest whenever you're a nurse like you're on the floor it's part of your job and I just had to say to him I don't know this is so new to me that everything I experience is for the first time like it's all really scary but I don't know and then thankfully I got back and I'm still trying to figure it out like every day is hard and I still have days where I really have a wobble or I'll be really panicky or I'm triggered by something so like every day is not great but it's better than what it was so I think something I want to chat to you about um, because it's something that I'm passionate about and Steve who's sitting in the room as well is passionate about and I know his good lady is passionate about as well as you mentioned Instagram and how sort of um, yeah I'm going to use this word sickening it is <laughs> whenever you are having a bad day a bad week a bad season and you by the very nature of Instagram it's going to be somebody's oh, legs sure. on the beach it's going to be somebody's cocktail it's going to be somebody on the north coast it's going to be somebody on the golf course I guess this is a conversation I'd love to have with you just over coffee anyway like how can we how can we be real but not overbearing <laughs> on social media about mental health I mean you probably have read mine I I, I just made a decision a while ago because I used to have Instagram and now I, I rejoined Instagram like last year I think I made a decision that I'm just going to be real on it that yeah. doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a mental health code every day yeah. it might mean that I'm throwing my beautiful little nephew up in the air or my little one of my little nieces up in the air I just decided I wanted to be more authentic so there has been days when I felt really brave that I could yeah. just post my tablet box which yeah. is one of the most amount of like I mean, I mean, I find this funny because it's me that like you can put up this really like incredible quote about mental health and then people get you like three likes and then you put your tablet box up and you got like 200 <laughs> likes. You're like, whoa. And, it, and that day that I posted my tablet box, loads of people were just like brave. Yeah. You know, brave. So I'm interested in the conversation that how, how can we make social media a more authentic place and also be at a place that we talk about mental health i mean i've seen a few of your posts and you see mine i sort of feel like we've had a connection over social media and i kind of feel like i know you sitting here um what's your thoughts on on social media and how the likes of me and you and handy can sort of champion a cause on social media that's not necessarily my life's awesome amazing all the time I think it's just what you said being real like being honest like I I shared a lot on my TikTok whenever I was um going through the really bad times which at the time now I think probably wasn't a good idea but um I find Instagram really helpful and that's why I I'm in sort of like oh it's good and it's bad but I think just being real and like I do love a mental health quote I can't lie I probably share them every day but I just I have so many quotes saved, screenshotted on my phone from whenever I was like having a bad time, and sometimes you like they just speak to you the way other people like don't, or they just say the right thing, 
don't get me wrong there's the wrong things out there but I think if you are having if it is consuming you do come off it because coming off it for three months was the best thing I done because I wasn't comparing myself to others and there is people out there like people share things like they're out every day or they're doing fun things and you're sitting at home a shell of yourself and you just think like how am I gonna how's my life gonna get better but I don't know it's a hard one I just think being real being real goes a long way I felt like a real nerd until now that I like a good mental health I quote love too them. so <laughs> I love them. I'll like yours if you like mine I will I promise <laughs> <laughs> so we're sitting here and it's what month is it May um where are you at now give us a give us a we're in the middle of May update about where you're at with your life with your mental health with studying obviously you're getting married did I see a post May 2025 May 2025 wee bit of saving to be done before then oh absolutely well I don't know um where are you at with all that now well I just finished my first placement back at uni thank goodness I was so happy I was so grateful that I got the war that I got because I said and this was a total deal breaker for me if this went bad that was it I'm not doing it anymore throwing the towel in and I said to my tutors I will bow down gracefully if this doesn't work out but I was so grateful that it did and the people that I met in that ward I just thought I'm doing this for the right reasons now like I had so much to give because I had so much experience and I was like no I know what you mean like tell me more and I could talk to them I just thought, no, this is right for me now. But yeah, I finished my placement. I have an exam on Thursday, so I'm a bit worried about that. But all in all, and like, don't get me wrong, days I, I really do struggle. Like whenever I was back on placement, I had a few days where I was really, really triggered. Like noises that I didn't think would, would have bothered me, like reminded me from ICU. So like, you know, every day isn't, isn't great, but. I think the one thing that, if, that I've learned this year is don't give up on yourself. Never give up on yourself because you're so worth it. Love that. Okay, so if you've been listening to a few of our podcasts, we like to talk about self-care. And I'm quite keen, definitely in recovery and definitely in coming back to your normal life now I'm keen because I'm crap at it, Kira, mm. and I'm getting better. Yeah, I'm hard. getting better at doing self care. I'm getting I'm getting better at doing things that aren't dutiful. That f- I use the phrase that fill up my bucket. Like, yeah, I go to play with my nieces or my two nephews, and I just feel awesome after it. Yeah, or go and watch football, even if my team's crap, or go and get a coffee, or go for a walk, or go to the cinema, even, dare I say, I put my phone on Do Not Disturb. I'm a watch and Do Not Disturb. Mm-hmm. I'm keen just to compare notes. What do, you, what do you do for self-care? What do you do to ensure you're doing all you can to keep yourself in good mental health? Um, I do struggle with self-care too, but um, whenever I was in therapy, my safe place was Helens Bay. I love Helens Bay. I just think the community there just gives me such a nice feeling. Anywhere with my dog that is an open space and not surrounded by people is like great. <laughs> like I'll know whenever I'm I'm getting to a point where I need some self care because I'll say to Arn I need to go to the beach. Any beach now. Like I went to Castle Rock last week and it was amazing. And I love a good coffee shop. Like, do you know 
like an own like an own per- what's the word like someone like, like an own business yeah. i can't even speak not starbucks yeah. i love starbucks no hate but like do you know when you find a good coffee shop and i just love that so can i get can i give you one yes blend and brew oh i've been there in porcano isn't it awesome yeah i, I literally hunt coffee shops now i literally hope they hear this and like send us a voucher or something but like i went there and i sent can i just say blend the brew guys i sent someone there today <gasps> a friend of mine called hannah if she's listening said to me can you suggest somewhere and i said go there and she sent me a picture in the coffee shop oh, i love it surf shack and castle rock is amazing it brought me so much joy they have like little colored flags and everything and like just by the beach and i thought wow this is i've never been there oh my god go yeah it's so good i kept saying i want to go there i want to go there and i just drove there last weekend it was the best thing final question so we always sort of end trying to there's a famous quote from the book to kill a mockingbird where you never fully understand a person until you get in their shoes and walk 10 miles so if it's not too difficult for you, I want you to try and get back into the shoes of somebody of yourself when you were feeling really hopeless. Because I think we, I think we have to be real on this podcast, Kira. If one in four people in the UK struggle with mental illness, there's probably somebody listening tonight who feels hopeless. Mm-hmm. Can you get back into when you felt hopeless and try and tell the person who's feeling hopeless? that's not the end of your story what would you say to somebody who's feeling really hopeless tonight i think what i kept telling myself was just don't give up don't give up on yourself and i always said tomorrow is a new day tonight it might seem awful it might seem horrendous that there's no way out but tomorrow is a completely new day and that what got me through was if I went to sleep I was like tomorrow is a new day and I just said to myself please please don't give up on yourself do it for your future self and see now when I think about it I just want to go back and give myself a hug because I was so hurt and all I wanted was someone to just hug me so if anyone has anyone that they know is having a hard time just go and give them a hug even if it like they're so uncomfortable because I probably was but a hug goes a long way and just please don't ever give up on yourself because you do not know what's around the corner i'm delighted and also a bit emotional i'm so grateful to kira for coming on the pod tonight um this is the first time speaking out about it publicly i my heart's really full and thankful there's so many bits of your story that are so wise and insightful i'm so grateful for your videos that you've never shown anybody i'm so grateful that you didn't give up on yourself i'm so grateful for your story because it reminds me that even in the darkest darkest night that there is going to be a new dawn and i'm so grateful that i'm sitting here and you're sitting in my dad's house with me and handy and you're you're proof that it's not the end and I'm just grateful that you're here. And I just hope that anyone who's listening who feels as hopeless as Kira has very brilliantly articulated tonight that mental illness can take you to that place. I hope you know that it's possible to get out of that place. And it's not the end of your story. So I just want to say thank you to Kira. Thank you for everything you've shared. And I really hope um everybody listening... um 
learn something from Kira's story. Thank you. Oh, thank you.